it's possible Jeremiah Smith won't be the only Ohio State freshman to see playing time in 2024. You are Locked On Buckeyes, your daily podcast on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. We have made it to another Feel Good Friday, which is a couple days before Super Bowl 58. And as of right now, there have been no changes to the Buckeyes coaching staff. Welcome in, Buckeye fans, to a Friday edition of Locked on Buckeyes here on Friday, February 9th in the year 2024. I'm your host, Jay Stevens, also the host of the Jay Stevens Podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, make sure you join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash on to get started. During today's episode, we will be joined by Brian Smith, who is Lockdown's recruiting analyst. Brian and I dive into freshmen to watch at Ohio State in 2024 and also highlight Dominic Kirks, who is the latest player to sign with Ohio State's 2024 recruiting class. I hope you're excited about the Super Bowl, and I hope you're excited about what Brian has to say about these talented freshmen at the Ohio State University. And as we welcome in Brian Smith, I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a higher stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. Brian, we're in that weird spot right now where you're at the other signing day, signing period that they have in the midst of this week right now. And we're going to highlight one player that recently signed at Ohio State later in the show. But it got me thinking, as the final players are signing their national letters of intent in this current recruiting cycle, what players could make an impact or maybe play in the upcoming season at Ohio State. The first thing that comes to my mind, I'm sure it comes to yours as well, is Jeremiah Smith. He's the best player in the country for the class of 2024, and he's probably the best wide receiver recruit that I've ever seen live. I saw him a bunch of times. I never got to see Randy. Uh, He was in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia, so that doesn't really count. But other than that, man, Jeremiah does all the little things well. Every kid that he goes up against, doesn't matter if he's an elite player, if he's an average player, he takes the same mental approach before the game, before the practice, whatever, and he trains his body the way he should. He went from about 185 pounds, 190, somewhere around there, before his junior year, and at the end, like this past February, about a year ago, he'd gotten up to close to 200, and this past summer he's up to 210. So he takes his entire training regimen very seriously, and then again, he's also really smart. He's a guy that will figure it out. I know Ohio State's playbook is not small, but Smith will be one of those rare kids that finds a way onto the field pretty quickly, and he's physically and mentally ready to do it. Is he a kid that could be a returner in the fall? A punt returner? Yeah. I don't think that's his best suit. He's too long-legged. He he can make guys miss, but he's not that kind of twitchy, twitchy guy. I'm saying I only asked that question because I was trying to get to this point here is that you think he's probably going to be one of Ohio State's top five in the room playing in the fall, like top five receivers? Uh, Early on, yes. By the end of the season, I expect him to be top two. So him and Abuka, basically. Probably. I mean, he's he's a three and out kid, top five draft pick. 
What separates him from Carnell Tate, a kid that just committed to Ohio State in the previous class? The only, I mean, Carnell's really, really well polished and everything, and that's what Heartline looks for. But it's 210 pounds. Yeah. You take on the attrition. I mean, I know I, this is an argument I have with a lot of parents, or I try to like get them to understand certain kids are just built differently. Jeremiah could put on that weight, and it looked, I mean, you could tell he was a little wider. But like last summer, we were at an event and I walked up to him and just kind of slapped him on the side like it's iron. You can work hard, but certain kids can't put on that kind of weight in the way he does. He's God gifted and he's going to be able to take the attrition that most freshmen can't like games, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 for freshmen. Usually they kind of go over a cliff. Yeah. I'm not saying Jeremiah won't have a wall to a certain degree. They all do to a certain point. But he's going to be able to find a way to get through that. He's trained his body a little differently, and now he's going through a high stakes program. He'll be fine, um, and he's a little different mentally too. He's not like most kids. He understands the long term projection, and that's why I chose Ohio State. Now, this is one of those kids that you see quite a bit, as you said. You've talked to him numerous times, and as you talk about his makeup, this build, the way that he trains his body, going from one eighty to two hundred to two ten. I'm curious if you have any insight on. What went into him and how he got that mindset at a young age to know how to properly train his body and his mind, not just for the high school level at an elite level, but also for what's to come at Ohio State? Oh, I asked that of Rod Mack. He's the guy that runs the Miami Ravens program in South Florida. He played for the Hurricanes. Uh, He's been all over the place, and he's got the most successful youth program in the country. And he told me that when Jeremiah and a bunch of the kids that just end up signing – got in with his program that he told Jeremiah at the age of nine, he was going to be the number one player in the country. And I said, nine. And he said he was different than anybody else. And originally he said him and some of his buddies that were around him just thought, you know, this is kind of like because of his dad, his dad's a mature guy, et cetera. But as time went on, they're like, this is just Jeremiah. Everything he does has one purpose. You can be three feet away from Jeremiah when he's stretching and he does not see you. He is complete focus. I've never really been around a guy quite like him, and he doesn't do it disrespectfully. Jeremiah is just focusing on what Jeremiah needs to do. He's the one kid in the room that the teacher always loves because they get an assignment, they do it, they'll ask questions, they just get it done. He's that way with football all the time. So he's a different kind of cat and really can't compare him to anybody else I know. What do you think might be the biggest obstacle in his way when he plays in his freshman year in college football? Probably just run blocking and the playbook. Those are the constant battles. Um, If college football was seven on seven, he could be their number one receiver by week two. Yeah. But the playbook in college, and this is what fans don't want to hear, and I say this on every single podcast, and this shall not be a change. Outside of maybe a few of my ex-girlfriends, the most stubborn people on earth are college football coaches. They want everybody to know the playbook. And I mean, know it. It's just not realistic for freshmen. You got to make some kind of exception here or there to make it work early on. And that's why I said towards the latter part of the year, it just takes forever. Ohio State runs a pro offense. It's harder than most. There are going to be times where he's probably drowning in information, even as an early enrollee. How much they dumb it down for him, if at all, I don't know. Um, I've met Hartline. I don't know him. But they have to find a way to get him on the field. It's really touchy because if you make an exception for Jeremiah, but not a couple of the other kids, you can cause dissension. There's a lot of reasons for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that because he's just better than everybody. 
but he can't run the wrong route either because that's when the ball goes the other way. It, it's really tough. So Ryan Day and his group probably going to work a lot to try to get him to understand the playbook more than they would the physical aspects. And it's usually the other way around because a kid needs a year to develop, et cetera. He doesn't need no time. He was right last year to play at Ohio State. But it's just the playbook. And then how well does he run block? I know he'll take it serious, but it's different at the college level. You know, he was just running over high school DBs. It's not the same when you're going against Penn State. It's not the same when you're going against somebody like Wisconsin or whatever. They've got players. So I'm curious to see how well he does that as well. You got to hear us talk about Jeremiah Smith and why we both agree that he will be a player that will play in the fall for the Buckeyes. I got a couple other guys on my notebook pad. I'm curious if Brian agrees with them. We'll dive into those next on Locked on Buckeyes. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or maybe even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Once again, make sure you go to FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports book partner of the NFL. Brian, let's stick with the wide receiver position. There's another one. There's only two wide receiver commits and signees in this class, Jeremiah Smith being one of them, Mylon Graham being the second. He's a really good guy. You've talked about him, highlighted him on this show. I think he can, but he has to blow up and just do everything right and take major strides up to get on the field in the fall. Not saying he can't make some type of impact on special teams, but when you have Jeremiah Smith, Emeka Abuka, you have Carno Tate, you have Brendan Ennis, those are the guys that are ahead of you automatically on day one. you got to find a way to do something different to get in that mix to be consistently or occasionally on the field. I mean, mop-up duty is going to he's going to be there for sure, potentially, but he has to do a lot right to get on the field as an impact guy for the Buckeyes. I saw him at Under Armour practices and in the game, you know, about a month or so ago. He's a very talented athlete, much like Jeremiah in terms of height. He's just not as physically put together in terms of weight. Uh, Graham, I'm guessing 190, 185, something like that. 20 pounds on a receiver is enormous difference. It doesn't sound like much, but again, Jeremiah is made out of granite. He's not normal. I don't know what his diet is, but I doubt I want to eat it. So can Graham gain the weight that he needs between now and the season conditioning and all that? That's the first thing. And then it's the same thing I was just talking about with Jeremiah. Do you find a way to learn the playbook to a certain degree and to a level that they're more comfortable than the guys you just mentioned? Like Mecca is probably not going to come off the field and guys like that. I mean, who, who's going to come off the field and why can he play multiple spots? Would he be comfortable in the slot? There's a lot of little nuances. They'll have to figure out somewhat in spring ball, but it'll probably be in the summer when they're playing seven on seven and the coaches aren't even allowed to do anything. And like the quarterbacks just kind of report to coaches at all schools. Hey, this guy's figured it out. This guy needs a ways to go. We'll know probably by late July, but not before. You know, that's one thing that 
when I, I hit the special teams area earlier, because Chris Olave is freshman year, people remember he made big plays as a freshman on special teams, then eventually made his mark as a Buckeye receiver later on in his career. That could be the same thing for Mylon Graham. So when I say impact or players to watch, I'm not just saying a receiver. Special teams means a lot to these young guys. It's how they make a name for themselves with their peers and their coaches. You work hard and you prove yourself on special teams down the road. The coaches see that and say, oh, you did that on special teams on punt team? Let's put you in here on second and eight. Let's see what you can do on this play. Well, it, could he do some of that? He's a little twitchier than most guys, his his length. But, I mean, somebody like Ennis is what I think of a little bit better as a punt return. He's, and he's a strong kid. Yeah. And they got other guys. Maybe Peoples, the running back that got coming yeah. in from San Antonio. Guys that are a little shorter and not as long-legged can break down and do things. Uh, as an example, the only time that I heard Jeremiah say this and we were just talking about positions he could play – Neither one of us thought he was going to be a corner if he changed positions because he's so long-legged. Like he's not could it be a great free safety? Sure. Graham, sure. Corner, that punt returner spot, you got to be able to go laterally better than the guy in front of it, or you get plastered. So it, it's a different kind of deal. But I wouldn't rule it out with Graham. He might be a little bit twitchier than Jeremiah. It's debatable, but I'd still rather have some of the other guys first. Let's go up to the quarterback position, stay on offense. This is one that I think you and I both agree on. I know you've said it here on the show. It's quarterback, man. You got to transfer quarterback and Will Howard from Kansas State. You got older guys there, older guys, guys that have been there for a year or two that understand the system. Air Nolan and Julian Sand are really, really good. And things that have to go out really wrong for the older quarterbacks in the room for them to have a chance to start. Because I don't think either one of us believe, Brian, that Ryan Day is going to start a freshman in any season, especially one as important as this one coming up. Yeah, I think both of them combined will throw for about 10 passes this year. You're not going to see these guys. No. So are they both really good? Yeah, they're both top five quarterbacks in this class. Are they both going to compete for the job after the season going into next? Yeah, like where they line up. Will one of them almost guaranteed leave between now and the end of next summer? Probably. It's just the way it is at Ohio State. You kind of have to wait your turn, but certain kids aren't going to wait very long. I have no idea who's going where, but uh, I can tell you this much. They got two great quarterbacks, and that's as good a one-two punch at quarterback as any team has signed in quite a while. Just don't think they're going to play right away. Quarterback's a different deal. You mentioned Peoples. We haven't. I don't think we've done any – Heard from you your thoughts about him as a simple running back and player, not a top two guy at Ohio State. And Dallin Hayden's a third guy. Could he be fourth or fifth? Yes, but that's not so much an impact or a guy that I would say, hey, watch him for this reason. But James Peoples, what do you like about him? He's a versatile kid. He could be a return guy if you wanted him to be. He'll run between the tackles. I know Tony is a running back coach that demands you hold on to the ball. He's a real picky guy, and he should be. And Ohio State, uh, I mean, had offered tell me this a number of years ago when I ran into him on the recruiting trail, four is not enough. And to that point, it's ironic. Hayden, if I remember right, year before last, started against Michigan or was the first guy off the bench or whatever, and he started fourth or fifth on the depth chart in the year. Correct. Running back, a lot of guys get – it's just – it's the nature of the position. I think he could play some. He's physically strong enough. And I'm curious how he would do. This is always the key with running backs that are freshmen. Can he pass block? Yeah. You're not going to – I mean, the worst thing in the world a running back can do is miss a block and see your quarterback get smashed. It does not end well for you in the film room. I'll leave it at that. So 
if he can do those things, the running and catching, I think he'll be fine. He's better than some people realize. And I don't know why, but Ohio State fans don't really talk about him. He's a top 200 recruit by pretty much everybody. He's really good. Who else is really good is Edric Houston. And this is just, this is one of those weird years where Ohio State's bringing back four starters, basically. I know Michael Hall went to the NFL, but Ty Hamilton started numerous games. You got two guys at D tackle that could go that are going to the NFL in the following at the end of the season. You got two guys at, at D end that are going to the NFL at the end of the season. But Edric Houston is a really good player. And I wonder how he mixes in in the D line rotation with the backups. Because the guys behind have played okay, haven't really submitted themselves to saying, yes, we're the sure backup here. Because a young guy could come in like Houston and shake things up. Houston's a guy that even as a junior, I knew he was going to be a really special player. I just didn't know, was it going to be strong side end or defensive tackle? And I don't think he's done filling out. I think he could be 280. But does he want to be, and what are they going to try to do with him? Yeah. Uh, three, three, five package, four, two, five, you know, your NASCAR package, whatever he could slide inside. He's just a good football player. And he played at Buford. He's been coached better than most kids. That program down there in the Peach State is really, really good coaching staff. So he'll come in a little more advanced, kind of like Jeremiah being from Chaminade Madonna in South Florida. He'll understand some of the nuances and get on the field. Probably not going to start based on what you just said, but he's going to be in the rotation is my guess. They'll just be able to use him in those spots. He, he's probably not ready physically for first down and 10 against Michigan. The power run teams, Minnesota, teams like that, he'll need a year, which is typical of defensive lineman, but he's a top 100 recruit for a reason. You know, you mentioned that thought about him not being ready for the power run teams like Michigan, maybe even Minnesota. And it, I literally had this thought early today while preparing for the show Tui Malowell, during his, it was either during his freshman year or at the end of the freshman year, he talked about one area that he was not ready for, prepared for physically or mentally was the strength of the offensive lineman at the college level. And it's not just you're going up against 300-pounders, because I guarantee Houston's gone up against 300-pound offensive linemen in high school. These guys are 300 pounds, and you can't move them. They're quicker, they're quicker than the average guy. And so it's not just the strength, it's the quickness but that combination together, it's rare to find a freshman, Brian, that's ready to play in their freshman year when you're going up against those guys that are trying to embarrass you as they prepare for the National Football League. A and B gap. Those are for experienced players that have been through multiple off-seasons. It's that simple. 300 pounds is one thing. 300 pounds and benching 400-plus is another. Yes. And that's all it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling anything that – Every strength coach in the United States of America doesn't already know, but there are players that aren't that good, but because of their just raw size and strength, like a backup second or third team offensive lineman at Ohio State, for instance, when they do Oklahoma drill or whatever they call it at Ohio State, that guy would probably beat Houston nine out of ten times. He's just stronger. When you have to go straight ahead, there's there's one path. The bigger, stronger guy is going to win. Third down and one, or when you see a heavy set, 12 personnel and they come out and that, you know, they got an H back in the backfield. That's not for freshmen. Usually could he be effective in certain situations where he shoots a gap or whatever? Sure. But if he has to just take a guy on straight ahead, it's probably better that he's doing that as a sophomore junior. There's one more player in the class of 2024 that we have not really highlighted much on this show. Cause he signed just a day ago. It's Dominic Kirks. We're going to dive into him next as Lockton Buckeyes rolls on on a Friday. 
when I watch this kid's film, Brian, this is Dominic Kurtz, the last player to sign in the Buckeyes 2024 recruiting class. He's long. He's lengthy. I see that they say he stands at 6'4", 255. I see the height, the weight, the measurements. But when I watch the film, the measurements can only tell you so much. His film just pops off over and over and over. He finds different ways to dominate his opponent. He gets to the football. He's got a little bit of a linebacker's mentality. He'll take it every now and then a, a chance and shoot a gap, but he has the foot speed and the change of direction ability to do it, despite being 250-plus. Yeah. I was impressed. Uh, I was surprised I hadn't heard more about him prior. But he had a pretty good senior year. He's a kid that's been on the radar. Ohio State, you know, having a kid in the state of Ohio like that you can turn to, pretty nice. Yeah. And uh, he's similar in size and stature to Edric Houston. I don't know what spot they project him at. I would think at a 4-3 that Larry Johnson would want him at 3-tech. Could grow into some nose guard responsibility at 1-tech. But those things kind of take care of themselves with a strength and conditioning program. But again, getting kids like this, this is what Trestle was famous for. High three-star, low four-star guys you weren't sure about, and they would develop them. Urban did that, et cetera. This is something that Larry Johnson's did at Penn State and when he came to Ohio State, et cetera. This is a guy they should get to play into his second year and on. Could be a starter for the Buckeyes for multiple seasons. And that's exactly what they were looking for. I know later, after the first early signing period, which still sounds weird to say early because that's the main one that's going on in college football, I was kind of thinking the Buckeyes would not try to sign anybody else or maybe not have a chance, literally, to sign anybody else. And all of a sudden, there's a – I believe he was committed to Washington at one point, decommitted from Washington right after the national championship, took an official visit, and it was basically a done deal. A couple weeks later, he ended up – committing to Ohio State. So Ohio State found one of those guys. He's in your backyard. He's a gym. He was available in an abnormal time of the cycle, and they kind of had to get him. Like we talk about all the time, Ohio State's emphasis is recruiting inside the state of Ohio. Of course, you want to go to California and Texas and definitely Florida. You want to have those areas, but you have to recruit your backyard. And if this kid is available Late in the cycle, you got to do what you have to do to get a commitment from him, and that's exactly what they did. I think this is the epitome of Ohio State football historically. If they want a kid outside of Michigan, maybe Penn State, or maybe Notre Dame every now and then, they're going to get about 90% of the kids they really want in state. Getting in late was just kind of the bonus. The whole Washington thing was odd for a kid from the state of Ohio. Right, right. Yeah, I not sure I've ever seen that, to be honest no. with you. I, like that. That was, I looked at the timeline. That was shocked me, too. Yeah, but, well, you know, to each their own, and we're in a different recruiting world than what I grew up with in the 80s and 90s. But he's a good football player. You get him, and it's a spot you were short on numbers. It's a win for the Buckeyes. You should be pretty happy about it as a fan. I got a question for you, because you've been doing this for quite a long time, and sometimes we get into some of the comparisons between when you started and currently – do you like that there is a signing period in December and then one in February? Uh, it's better for us in the recruiting industry because we get it over with. And then like I live down south when, you know, I've already been to a seven on tournament and I'm getting ready to go to Under Armour, Orlando, et cetera. It helps us turn the page. So from a business side, it's good. Uh, you know, it's the same thing December 20th instead of like February 2nd or whatever it is each year. 
but I don't know. It, it's kind of weird in some ways because the kids are rushed a little more and the yep. coaches that everything happens in December, there's no good way to do everything. And there's people complaining about it. Where are you going to move the signing day to? You're, there's no good answer. So it's better for me and I'll leave it at that. But I know there are a lot of opinions about it. You know, I'm not really a person that really has one one way or another. Uh, I haven't been doing it as long as you. I'll start there. But also, I understand the December one makes a whole lot of sense. You can get players to enroll early. Um, I understand if you want to have it only in February. I understand. I, I understand if you want to have it two weeks after the national championship. Like I understand a lot of the arguments that things people have been making. I don't really care either way. Like it's a signing day. It's a signing period. It's, it's in December. Cool. Work around it. It's in February. Cool. Work around it. I don't think coaches like both. That's one thing I don't think that they do enjoy is, yeah. wait, I got to go and do these recruiting visits and do a presser about national signing day while preparing for a bowl game or for the playoff. I don't think coaches like it, but I don't think they're going to get their way. The one area they do like, and I know this from a lot of coaches, they always used to hate January because it's, you know, the weather's tougher, et cetera. It was an extra extended time. They were away from family and a lot of the month. Yeah. Now they get most of that month back. That's the one part. They're not going to talk about that publicly. Uh, there are certain areas like you just mentioned they don't like, but at least they get to be home a little bit more. That's the one silver lining. You got any last comments about Ohio State's 2024 recruiting class as a whole? The one thing that I would say about it is it's pretty balanced. I mean, they, yeah, I know they could have taken one more D lineman. They would have liked to have one more receiver. Everybody wants one more of everything. Coaches are stubborn and they are very greedy. Those are the two things I will guarantee you. But it's like the quarterback position. They got the number one quarterback class in the country. They got the number one player in the country. They got a few impact guys. It's pretty balanced. This is how you continuously put yourself in position to make the college football playoff. Really appreciate Brian Smith coming back on the show once again. You can follow him on X at FBScout underscore Florida. Follow me on the same platform at JStevens07. Guys, it's a feel-good Friday. The Super Bowl is in a couple of days. Oh, forgot this, Brian. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl, the Chiefs or the 49ers? I'll take Patrick Mahomes. Oh, wow. So easy. I'm going the opposite. I'm going with the Niners. Um, but – I understand if Mahomes wins. I don't really have a dog in the fight. Like if if the 49ers lose, I'm not losing no sleep. It's not like that. But uh, I'll definitely take San Fran in this one. Uh, guys, this has been Locked on Buckeyes here on a Friday. We'll see you next time.